Manamana. Do 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 do. Manamana. Do 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 do. Manamana. Hello and welcome to All Locked In How We Laugh with today's special guest, Rob Crosby, all the way from Dumfries. Uh, Rob's an act and promoter who I've worked with a couple of times in the live scene, which which actually used to exist, believe it or not. Um, he runs Rob before. <laughs> he runs Rob before. I've performed there a couple of times. I was absolutely shite the first time I performed and I've done a wee bit better the second time, so I'm glad. He doesn't think I'm a rubbish act and has agreed to come on the podcast. That's true. I don't know if I'm particularly <laughs> fucking rubbish to begin with. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, Rob, I've actually asked on today because he's just not having it with online comedy. He's just quite happy to do his radio show and just sit there saying, it's not the same. It's not the same. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to find out um, what Rob thinks about online comedy um, and what, what, he's, what he's been up to in lockdown. And what he sees the future hold. So without much further ado, I'll just put you on to Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I'm not bad. How's yourself? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. Right. We've managed to I wouldn't say, if I'm honest, I wouldn't say I'm against like online comedy. It's not really a, an anti that my my stance tended right, well, to be that uh, when it first started and people were starting up online gigs, and it was just somebody performing to a screen or to other screens of like other comedians, that to me reminded me of back in the days of like, um, and I'm not speaking ill of David Mitchell, but he was <laughs> synonymous with gigs where there was no audience, so you pretty much performed to other acts. So it, it reminded me a wee bit of that, which is I, not I know bad exactly what you mean, yeah. But the, the idea was, for me personally, I didn't want to run online gigs because I got yeah. asked by a few people, and the, my gigs particularly, I've always run them a, 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 like a specific way where there's a big element of theatre involved. So the big intro music and the big over the top kind of welcome to the stage and stuff. And I did just didn't feel he could convey that on a screen. And when there's yeah. no audience to react to, and also because I tend to use the audience an awful lot personally. So that, that was the thing that made me hesitant. But I mean, I would do it as an act, but I don't think I would organise one. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I said at the start, you were kind of against them. I was kind of hoping you would adopt that um, that attitude. <laughs> but yeah. but um, it's all right. You've, you've got enough good good thoughts on it that it's not going to be short of podcast as I feared. <laughs> <laughs> if you like online, no. And that's the end of that episode. <laughs> but, um, but so what, 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 what else have you been doing in lockdown? Like, what's, where have you been using your time? Um, Comedy-wise, I know we're kind of staying around the comedy idea. So comedy-wise, I've actually written a sitcom. Um, I've written loads of wee sketches. I've wrote loads of material for, for the inevitable 2029 return to the stage. Um, <laughs> I'm still alive. Uh, I've written kind of wee video sketches. I, I wrote an entire series of sketches based on my dog, but I can't perform them because... There's, you can't get out and perform them unless I don't know what you have um, some sort of business in, in video making or something I mean I don't think you can do like amateur films but I, I need a lot of kind of people on the street for the ideas that I've got so yeah, that, that's obviously a, a no-go area at the minute yeah it's kind uh, of frightening it's, it's, I, th I, think, I think we basically underestimated um, 
the effect that all this was going to have, even though back in like July, August, September, we'd literally just been through the first lockdown. I think a lot of us had the attitude of, well, that's, that lockdown was easy. I thought it standing in my hands, you know, and then Christmas has came and January's here and February's here. And now they're talking about May before we get back out uh, there. It's, it's... I've spoken to people in the NHS. I've got like friends that are kind of high up in the NHS and the official, oh, sorry, the unofficial official statement is that this current lockdown is going till May and then there'll be another one August, September. So I think the fact that they're drip feeding me, whether that proves to be true, will kind of play out itself. But whether whether we actually see any kind of return to anti-lockdown behaviour, um, I really don't see it. I don't know why we're still in lockdown at the minute. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with the vaccine personally, because people are getting the vaccine and they're still being quarantined and, well, and told that you not only can catch the the disease but you can spread it so it's yeah. i know the, the awesome. vaccine's supposed to be helping us but it's making no difference to the behavior of people in lockdown yeah but my dad said that um he, 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 he was totally going against his um getting his vaccine in the first place and then you know if you engage him on that topic you start hearing about bill gates and all sorts so you try not to but like <laughs> fucking, yeah. um, but like he said that he wasn't going to get it, then he went and got it, and he went to the SECC, and he said it was Auschwitz, and um, he's not going to get his second one, but, you know, I'll, I'll probably get a horror story about his second vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> I think without the second one, the first one's pointless, is it not? Yeah, but it's just, he just said about the way he felt he was herded, and, you know, it's... I think, yeah. I think, I think, I think, I mean, I, I, I listen to some of the dissenters and the conspiracy theories sometimes, and other times, I, you know, I, I try to look at it more objectively, and but the same, it, does, it really doesn't matter what's going on. It's kind of the same, same end result for the likes of you and me, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, it yeah. does matter what's going on, obviously, but it's not. There's nothing we can do about it. Sitting in the house, fucking watching the telly, you know. It's not good. Yeah. It's um. It's just uh, I don't know. I don't really get. Like, I'm not anti-vax at all. I get like I've got a massive scar on my on my left shoulder, which will prove that to be true. But it's just if you're if you're prone to the flu, you get a flu jab. Yeah. If you're prone to this, you get this jab. But it's it seems to be particularly I was even looking today that it doesn't matter they want every single adult given this jab before they ease the lockdown, and that yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Especially if it's not a cure, what difference does it make? Yeah. If it was a cure, yes, I get it. Fine, fire the cure into us and let's go on with it. But but that I mean still, that thing, but it's not a cure. Just seems like they can have you know fuck you cause. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. It's the same well, as you, you can't sue them if anything goes wrong. Like, yeah, so you have to, you have to have this jab. If you die of it, tough, tough luck, buddy. That's, <laughs> that's it. If you're if you're presenting somebody with a waiver that says sign this just in case something goes drastically fucking wrong, uh, I'm, I'm just like, wait a minute, I don't know if I want this because I mean something might go drastically wrong anyway without this. This might just. Be <laughs> and if you don't sign it and don't get your vaccine. <laughs> we're going to treat you like a 1984 fucking strike breaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't believe for a minute that like there's fucking chips in it or any way to control your thoughts or 5G like reacts against you or whatever. It just. Oh, I mean, it. I, 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 I see this in the show a lot, man. Like stuff about the, the about listening to conspiracy theories. But you've got to cut me a break for having so much time in my hands. That's <laughs> a problem with me. Well, we're all sat indoors, and it's, it's not even conspiracy theories at this point. It's just joining me to Z. Let's, see what, David Let's see what that David Ike's up to today. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what's he, he got to say about all this? 
<laughs> hey. Has he become like the soothsayer now? Has, oh, a, has he... Yeah, man, it's, all, all of these guys, all these conspiracy theorists, man, they're like, see, it's like we always told you, and you're like, well, actually, you know, last last year it was something about the royal family's actually being lizards, you're fucking mad. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that Nostradamus had a lot of things come through, but he had something like five times as many not yeah. come through. He just wrote a lot of shite and some of the stuff. <laughs> he just wrote, wrote a lot of loose fucking florid passages that are easily translated into whatever the fuck oh, exactly. you <laughs> will feel a fever and it will be severe fuck that must be COVID <laughs> <laughs> right maybe he predicted the lizard people I know he's, the, know he's the ultimate fucking the proto-conspiracy theorist pulling it all out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> know. I know I mean so it is a crazy thing um, oh, you open. Talk, talk, talk to cunts like you in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how bad it's got. No, no, I've been busy. I've been doing like the, the gigs and stuff like that, and I've been quite busy with my photographs. Man, I got a new camera and stuff recently, so I, I saw a the lot photograph. of photographs. I thought there was a, a was there not like a professional direction? Did you not say you were getting? Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've had a couple of um, offers. I've got a couple of assignments that I've been paid from a couple of different people. Used to do yeah. get some photographs of stuff, and I'm I'm looking into doing stuff for um, I'm, I I think I might do a wee bit more training first, but I'm going I'm going to look into doing uh, some, maybe some newspaper work and some my mate run uh, does locations, no, okay. and he says they're looking for people to go to locations ahead of you know the film the whole fucking film yeah. crew going there and get photos of those locations and because my photographs right. are quite cinematic he, he, he thought of me you know, but yeah. again about those two things are. are Things I'm going to get a wee bit of training for first, you know, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm out there using auto all the time, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I accidentally once didn't have an auto and I was wondering why my camera was broke. <laughs> <laughs> this is pure white. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, yeah, why are all the lights shaky? I, I, <laughs> I learned photography back when it was uh, film and exposing your in photos and stuff, but it was black and white, so much easier than colour. And then I came to digital. And it's just like you have to start over. <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. in school. I don't in school, and um, I think I used an entire like an entire two rolls taking pictures of Adam Smith building when I was going to take photos of the West End. You know, like uh, so fucking. I just, I, I, I've always had an interest in, in photography, but I've just yeah. never really taken to it as much as I have over the past few years. I actually done a post about yeah. this recently on Facebook where it's I was. People have always asked me why you take photographs now, and it was literally I, I was fucking really depressed, man. I was recently bereaved, and I just I just couldn't see any beauty in the world. And I was like, well, no, if I look out the window, there's something nice there all the time. Why don't I just capture that? You know? Like some seagull eating a chip roll at a bin. Yeah, or like fucking perfume story of a murderer where he goes about fucking trying to steal the essence of women. <laughs> like, <laughs> not quite that creepy, but like just I just I don't know. Sometimes you see the light hit off something, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know? yeah. And I, I like I like going about with my camera and just try to capture that, you know. Yeah. Plus, you could see him. Yeah, yeah. You could. Like what well, well, I'm not meant yeah. to be out, Rob. Fuck. <laughs> like... Why? Technically, if you've been commissioned, you're pressed now. I'm yeah, pressed because yeah. of the radio, so I should wear that badge and just wander around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'll... everybody for no reason. Uh, none of the ones I've put up on Facebook have been. Um... Commissioned ones, the commissioned ones. I don't want to use any of them because yeah. obviously I've, you know, somebody's paid me for them. So I'm not yeah. even sure if, if if they remain my property after I hand them over. You know, uh, if they've been it's, it's, it's only had a couple of times now, anyway. So you know, yeah. So 
But, um, I wouldn't worry. As long as the people want them, what difference does it make? Uh, but I, see, I, I, I think I'm putting up too much on Facebook, bro. I think, like, so I end up, I think back in the summer, I was putting up like fucking 70 a day, and 70 is the absolute limit. I found out the absolute limit of Facebook photographs by putting too many photographs up on Facebook. <laughs> like, and I, it's less is more, you know. But I just, That's I just, right. I just. I was going to say, I put a po like, post in front of the absolute limit of Facebook for language because I had a few removed. <laughs> <laughs> Some things are not allowed to say, apparently. You, you sent me a thing, actually, that was a photographer, a Russian photographer. That was really interesting. There was a load of really yeah. good stuff in there. Aye. And I, actually, I, because I, I used to do photography, I used to have a... I've got a few friends that are really good at it. And really, you know, you'll like, look at the photos and you think, fucking hell. And they're working with like minimal equipment. You just think, well, I've got a camera and all these fancy lenses, and I'm not getting anywhere near that. Yeah. Uh, but it's all it's all just practice and technique and stuff. I um, was. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying just. I'm, I'm enjoying really concentrating in the composition, you know. And what I've, yeah. I've I've got into a real routine now, where I'll go out and take a bunch of photographs and come back, and I'll stick on, um, you, you know, Godfrey Regio's Giannis Quasi. Uh, the, really. the, the film it's, it's it's an old film. It's like it's all pictures of like deserts and then it goes into the city and it shows you production lines and people in Las Vegas and it's all about kind of life in motion okay. you know and it's the ultimate message of it all is that we're destroying the planet whatever you know but yeah. I like I like kind of having that on the TV and some different music like Brian Eno and fucking um, Tangerine Dream and like 80s film soundtracks and stuff and is just it, is there anything else in that equation other than like no, no, no drugs. No, no, no. That, <laughs> coffee and cigarettes. No, no, no. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually celebrating. Yeah, 18, 90s, 90s rains. I'm actually celebrating 18 months um, clean tomorrow. Nice, well done. Last time I took any drugs, but um, I know, but that's just my routine. I just, I just like having that on, or either that or like an Adam Curtis film or something. Just, uh, just uh. images on the TV that I just like having while I'm sitting playing with my photographs. It's, it's my way of taking drugs without taking drugs. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Right, no, I know how mental it sounds, you know. Like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> try put on some random music, just like not even planning it, just random it, and put it onto Harold Lloyd films. Right, cool, cool. Because uh, he's he was an old hero of mine back in the day, black and white silent films, but he used to do all his own stunts. Yeah, yeah, like Buster Keaton as well, man. I've, I've actually got a oh, Buster Keaton book um, in 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 some of them, and I didn't read it. And I ordered about fifteen books off of Amazon, didn't read them. Uh, I think that's a, a lockdown disease part of it. You're getting programmed just to buy. Yeah. Well, I said and, and not read, you know. I'm, I'm annoyed yeah. at myself. I mean, I read a couple of them I read, but I just I can't believe the amount of books order that I didn't actually read, you know. What were the general ones that you did read? Um, I read a really good book called The Science of Storytelling by Will Storr. It's uh -huh. really good about the, just the kind of storytelling the science of storytelling <laughs> and then um, i got i got a comedy guide about comedy writers book by a guy whose workshop ended up there and his name's dave cohen my book form just my, my bookshelf's just informed me but um right. I, I, I don't i don't know I, I don't think that i took too many lessons from it but it was, it was nice to see how jokes are constructed from other people's point of view and stuff you know yeah anyway i was talking about stuff like uh, chris morris and how chris morris's writing process and stuff like that and it's good to see, but I'm always wary of kind of how-to guides, you know? Yeah. Like, because you don't want to sound like anybody else. You want to just be, kind of, yourself, you know? Yeah. Mm. I, I don't think I've ever read a, a com well, one, I think I read one comedy book and it wasn't even from a research perspective. It was because somebody told me it was really interesting. So I read it and it was um, Stuart Lee's uh, How to 
or how I gave up comedy to make it in comedy or something. I can't remember the actual name of it. But it's the one where he basically has the the meltdown of just jumping through hoops of doing gigs of 12 people in town halls because it's prepaid and people can kind of turn up and he was getting homeless people falling asleep in the audience <laughs> of like six people and young guy peenies still in the middle of a gig and stuff. And he, he had to keep himself entertained all the way through this because it was becoming soul destroying. And then he gave it up only to find Ricky Gervais had almost taken his whole persona onto stage. <laughs> and he's, and he, the first time he saw Ricky Gervais, he was fucking raging because he thought that he'd stolen all his act and he's like, not just his act, but his delivery and everything. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, how dare this fucking guy like steal my stuff? So he, he it gave him motivation to get back on stage again. And then obviously he won like comedian of the year and stuff. But it in no way gave me any insight into how to write material or, yeah, yeah. Um, or even, I don't know, adapted my material. Or, I don't yeah, know, I did, just, I think if I you did, don't think that way. I did, I, I, when I bought that book at the start of lockdown, it was kind of like, just what can I do, you know? Like, But I've, yeah. not, I've not really needed it. And I, I say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm well sus at any how-to guides, you know, because it's... It's just this like cookie cutter, you know. It's like uh, when I was a yeah. kid, I had um, how to draw the Marvel way, how to draw comics the Marvel way. Yeah. And like all, all my mates had it, and everybody's fucking sitting there drawing like John Bushima, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. What's the point in that? I'd much rather like not like Simon Bisley, but be as far from the form as somebody like Simon Bisley. Then you know what I mean? Who does? He obviously never read that book, you know. Can yeah. anybody do Simon Bisley apart from him though? No. That's, that's what I mean. I would, I would, I would prefer to be a Simon Bisley than a you know a cookie cutter John Bushima. Oh, yeah, yeah. John Tashima's excellent. I just don't want to draw like him, you know? Yeah, I don't want to, like, you know? Following the herd. Exactly, man, exactly. I think that's I think that's a thing in comedy as well. It's um I spoke to you about this before. It's about right. it's it's good to carve your own path, you know, and do what you can. I do find that in, in comedy you'll particularly through seeing so many acts, is you'll find somebody'll take inspiration from a particularly popular comedian and then you'll find like some other guy will take the same path and then another and then another and then another yeah. and out of all of them you'll probably get like 20 guys who are all following the same path as Frankie Boyle and all Aye. trying to be like Frankie Boyle but out of all of them maybe one of them will get somewhere the other 19 will lose hope and give up and mm. then that one guy will kind of change anyway they'll just use him as like the, the springboard from where they go themselves and if somebody tries to stick too closely to somebody else and in inspiration or even writing style or even jokes, they yeah. inevitably end up being a clone and clones Aye. don't really tend to get anywhere. Yeah. So, I've seen a good quote today from Herman, Herman Melville. It was, um, it's, better to be, it's better to fail originally than to succeed um, as a copy. Or, or, uh, or, it's better to, to succeed, it's better to fail <laughs> in originality than succeed in imitation. That's it. Yeah, Melville. That's, that's pretty much. Um, that's pretty much it. I once asked somebody. Uh, in fact, I asked a few people because I was curious back in the day. But I once asked somebody who they thought uh, I most resembled in comedy. Like what? Who they would say I was? Well, you know the answer's Tintin. <laughs> but that's just looks-wise. But comedy, like, comedy-wise, who I most resembled, or what style of comedy I did, and. I was quite amazed that they couldn't answer it. 
Because I thought somebody would immediately spring to mind and say, I don't know, you're a bit like Stuart Lee or you're a bit like Lee Evans or you're a bit like whoever. But even thinking about it, I can't think of who would have been like my main inspiration. I don't really have one. I've got 50 general inspirations, but not one main one. For me, it's kind of like the the, kind of emotional honesty of people like Pryor and Billy Conley and stuff like that. And... uh, and the kind of dryness of somebody like Chick Murray and stuff, you know, like that's that's yeah. that's, that's how I kind of see myself. But I've never set out to emulate any of those people. Yeah. You know? Like apart I, 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 apart from maybe being inspired by the honesty of somebody like Pryor, because Pryor was a fucking was just the god, you know, for that Aye. honesty, you know. Aye. And it's like you're saying that imitation thing. I mean, in, in the eighties there was so many Pryor imitators. That was that was it was it was essentially the same. Same stuff without the without the heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's ultimately um, that's what defines a great com- uh, comedian as opposed to a good one. If yeah. you if you're unique, people might not find you funny, but if you can find your correct audience or if they can find you, that's something pretty special, really. Whereas if you're just somebody that can be put on any bill and entertain an average audience, well. That's it's a good path to go, but it's not the best path. Yeah. Well, for me, it's not. I much prefer to be just myself. I don't like kind of. I don't like tailoring myself to other people's expectations. I just like going out, telling jokes, whatever they might be, to an audience and getting a, re- a genuine reaction from them. So, like, sometimes I'll tell stories. Sometimes I'll tell dad jokes. Sometimes I'll tell like poems. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just like do physical stuff and it's it's very hard to I think it's very hard for somebody to then bookie based on what style of comedy you are rather than whether you're funny Aye. and and judging I think for me personally since I started comedy and as a an organizer and promoter if somebody's funny that's down to the audience Aye. it's not for me to say so I don't I would never ever book somebody saying like I think you're fantastic, go on, and then that put all my hopes on them. I would always think, I like them, they're good on stage and off stage, they're nice guys, whatever, or girls, or whatever gender. Right. And then I would put them on stage and let the audience decide. So when you were saying you were shite the first time you come down, I don't right. think that's true. I think it's just uh, the first time an audience will either take tea or not take tea, they're going to laugh or not laugh, but quite a, I learned quite early on, um, because I think the, like, the second gig I ever did, it was very intellectual. It was based in like modern art and contemporary art, which again is, is very niche. But coming from an artistic background, I thought it was funny, and I thought I'd over-explained it. But because I was talking a lot, and because I was inexperienced and didn't have spaces for, for laughs, um, most of the time the audience were engaged rather than actually laughing. So when I came yeah. off, I said to the promoter of that gig, oh, I'm really sorry, I, I thought I was funnier than that. And I genuinely was taken aback because I thought, fuck, I, I didn't think I was that bad. And he went, no, no, did he not watch the audience? They were like, when the other acts were on and the other acts were all established, I was, this is literally my own, my second gig. And my only kind of experience before that was a, a shambles. I didn't even like count as a gig. Cool. So, where were we about the, the second gig that I did was I, le- I learned a lot from it. One was 
that the guys that were on before me, they were all really established. Most of them are actually still performing now. Uh, some of them have actually had down the gig as headliners as well. And I remember coming off stage thinking, I don't know if I did well there. I don't know why people didn't laugh. I thought it was funny. Um, but obviously, my judgment doesn't count. The audience judgment counts more. And then the guy who was, had organised the gig said, but did you not see the audience? When you went on stage and started talking after like 30 seconds, they all turned around and started paying attention. They put the phones down and stuff. Yeah. And for so that that gave me a bigger kind of ego boost than the laughter did. Um, which given a yeah, you're doing comedy is a, is a bit of a you know arse for tit. But yeah. uh, I did learn from that that sometimes it's not really about constant laughter, it's about the bigger laughs at certain points. And being a promoter, even like when you come down, if you're not, if you think you're not doing well, which a lot of people who are starting out think as well, if you look at the audience, like I look at the audience, not you, because you've got to concentrate on what you're saying and, and your material and, and remembering your set and stuff. But yeah. I look at the audience, I look at how they react to it, not how they laugh, but how they also are paying attention, whether they're looking at their phones, whether they're, you know, talking to their mates, whether they're, disengaged or bored of looking yeah. or whatever uh, and that pays a lot more into whether you come back down or not but See, again I, I, I used to, to have only one gig anyway I used to have a couple of jokes in my set live set right up actually to lockdown so I mean technically I still have them in my stage set that were there specifically to gauge empathy yeah and I think even though it was you know it was a fucking bit of a brainwave for a, for a newbie it was maybe stupid of me to, to worry about that. Yeah. Rather than just actually being myself. Like, I shouldn't have been so focused on whether or not the audience had empathy, you know? Yeah. Well, for the and first sort of 10, 15 gigs, I think you should be concentrating on your set, yeah. um, rehearsing it, performing it, making sure that you don't forget any of it, getting relaxed on stage, getting used to touching and holding and playing with mics, getting used to where you would hold a mic to talk. Um, just... Be feeling, looking, and being comfortable on stage, and also remembering your material. And then after a certain point, you'll start to know your material that well that you'll be able to look at the audience and and interact with them and gauge like spaces for laughter or whether a joke is funny. And it, it, that's when at that point you would think, right, okay, I delivered that joke to the best of my ability. It didn't get too much of a laugh. I might want to either reword it or drop it. But that's Aye. essentially that's what comedy is. It's just going on and tweaking, or what it should be anyway, is going on and tweaking a five minute, a ten minute set, so that when you go on, you get as many laughs as you can, and enjoy it. The Aye. key thing being enjoy it as much as you can, because if you go on, you get hundreds of laughs, but you fucking hate being on stage. Why are you doing it? I, I see. I had I had a lot of that in my first kind of year. I, my, my personal life was an absolute shit show, man. Like it's. Fucking horrible shit going on in my personal life, and I, I wasn't—I wasn't enjoying comedy yet. Comedy was the thing in my life that was giving me validation, so I couldn't quite pack it in. I mean, it—it seems—it seems so urgent that you, you capitalise on any traction that you've made. So you need to do it right now, and then you're up there on stage going, "Right, I've got jokes for you." But listen, I, I need to hurry before they pull me off. Like, you know? and people—people yeah. people don't give a shit why you're so twitchy. You know, they're just like, "Get this fucking idiot off the stage." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so you're right, but I, I could never really enjoy it. You know, I, I was always like just thinking that I was going to get pulled off the stage any minute. 
Yeah, that was always really weird when it came to that because when even like the the guys who I met that I would see as contemporaries would all be of a certain description. So they would be like people who maybe, were maybe quiet, needed attention, or wanted the attention, or who needed to affirmation through laughter or popularity or maybe were like the quiet guy at school who got bullied until he started telling jokes and then suddenly he was a class clown yeah. i was never like any of that i just wanted to do comedy because i thought i would be quite good at it and if people laughed that was great if people didn't laugh i would i would not blame the audience i would look at why they didn't laugh and i would also think mm. okay is that my audience and but i would always be polite and i was always treat them with respect because I don't see the point in blaming an audience if they don't yeah. like it or if they don't like your material or if they don't like your like you and there's a there's a, a point where you go on stage where an audience will either like you or dislike you based on the way you look alone. Yeah. Your nervous mannerisms or you know you, you see these guys who go on and within like 10 seconds they'll get a laugh and you can tell the audience have warmed to them immediately yeah. for whatever reason. Again, it's a skill that I'm not sure that I've got, but uh, I don't really conform to the whole comedian as a need for affirmation stereotype. Well, no, I can't. I I simply can't deny that comedy happened for me completely by accident. Not completely by accident, um, but happened for me at a time when I was struggling with my place in the world. And um, it's done just as much to fucking make me feel as if I don't want to be here as it does make me think, I'm never leaving this place. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think you say that of comedy in general, though, you'll get like a great gig and that's like, yes, this is my calling. I'm doing comedy for the rest of my life. And then the next day you'll have a shy gig. You're like, fuck it. Those guys are assholes. <laughs> you know, they just didn't me. get the jokes. They <laughs> went over their heads. Uh, oh, I've seen plenty of that. Oh, they were I'm too good for comedy. I'm quitting. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's, it's the audience's fault they just don't understand int- intellectual stuff take yeah. me to Oxford they'll do well there <laughs> take me to fuck they'll do well there <laughs> yeah. right. um, and so how do you see how do you see the industry developing uh, um, after all this at the minute I'll be honest I know it's been what, 16, 18 months now since lockdown kind of kicked in properly? <laughs> we, 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 we just, we've just got a flavour of what yours has been like. <laughs> it's longer than everybody else. I was, I was being optimistic there. I was got to say like two and a half years. Mm. Uh, no, I, no, I thought I, you meant how long have we been in lockdown? Did you mean when we'll start to get gigs and all that again? No, no. Uh, I mean, that's how long it feels like we've been in lockdown. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I think... I, I, to a certain extent, I was projecting that it would be a new a new kind of lockdown. It'll extend to probably me, so it'll be about 18 months before we get a chance to assess not lockdown world again. Uh-huh. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think comedy itself, live comedy, being in an audience, being allowed, even in a field. I, I saw somewhere... Uh, just yesterday that they're talking about people have to wear masks in fields if you're going for a walk in the country um, like national parks and stuff which I think is absolutely mental because where are you going to get fresh air other than a fucking national park where are you going to get freedom and space and social distancing in a field it kind of defeats the purpose of fresh air and exercise doesn't it like uh, exactly so if you're going to have a comedy gig where you can't even 
sit within two metres and wear a mask. So say you want a kind of freely laugh, because that was the big thing they made, wasn't it? You can't laugh because yeah. you'll spread COVID, you'll spit it out on your, your pals or whatever. So if you're looking at like three metres apart, two chairs together, that's not conducive to a comedy audience. Comedy has to be like this inclusive thing where you're, you're experiencing a unique event and every person that goes on stage where every bill's different, that, that one night, that one event, they'll come out with something that they've never come out with again and probably when you come out with ever again yeah. that plays off some of the other acts or, or the audience themselves and it creates that unique experience that everybody just feels part of. But yeah. if you're sitting miles away from somebody, fear from what fucking disease you might get, it, there's no comfort level, there's no inclusivity, you're just going to feel alienated. Yeah. And how long is it going to be before they can take all that away? Because that needs to come away. And all yeah. this plastic screening and stuff. Um, I know a, a few clubs down south had to, well, didn't have to, but they decided to adhere to all the COVID rules as the minute they were launched. Yeah. Aye, the minute they were launched, they just put up plastic screens between the seats, put up um, like distancing, one-way systems, tapes on the floor, queuing distances, all that kind of thing. Every single thing meeting the criteria that the government put and still they were told, nah, it's an indoor venue, you can't do that. Yeah. And all that money, all that effort, all that kind of trying to make it work and it just goes straight out the window. Yeah. Uh, I know Naz up in Aberdeen, he's been closed for months and he just opened yeah. a, a new venue. I can't imagine how hard he's suffering. Yeah. Um, the pub where I run my gig, it's been closed apart from, I think it was allowed to open between sort of four and six, but you had to sit outside to drink. And they oh, just was that in the summer? It wasn't even worth it. Was that in the summer? Uh, aye, just not that long since. So that venue's closed now? Before we down again. Eh? And so it's closed for good now? Uh, no, it's not closed for good, but it's. It, he decided there was no point opening it for aye. two hours a day when people couldn't even, you know, socialise, because that's what pubs for. Well, that's the so, thing. I mean, it was, a, lot, a lot of them opened kind of as takeaways in sort of April. And then... Um, and that was okay, and they managed to get a lot of stock, but then they ordered in new stock, and then there's another lockdown, or restrictions yeah. meant that they couldn't sell. I mean, it's just, it's just it's just a horrible time for the industry, for the hospitality yeah. industry and for the comedy industry. It's, it's yeah, shame. and the whole the whole kind of, the way they're going to be now by saying, right, there's a lockdown to the end of April, or, or May, or June, or July, and they just keep on giving you like a month at a time. How does anybody in that industry organise that? Yeah. Because if you buy that in thinking, okay, We'll wait, we'll wait to the end of the month and then we'll see what the next thing is and then we'll buy stock and say that you go, okay, we'll, we'll open the pubs but only for a certain amount of hours and people are that desperate for income, they go, right, cool, we can buy stock in now, right? So they then buy the stock and there's a week goes by and then some major outbreak hits so they get locked in again because they can close it within like a day. Yeah. My partner's uh, business same again. They had uh, they had opened. They adhered to all the rules. He's a hairdresser, um, or a hairstylist. Sorry, I better get that right. I'll get a tail into. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they were all adhering to all the rules and all that. And then somebody held heard that somebody else had come into contact with somebody else. Bear in mind, it's a smallish town. Next thing he knew, that knock-on effect it meant that the health board was investigating the venue. They were told to close for two weeks. So oh, now she's suddenly out of business. She has to come home. She's uh, she's having to go with all the guidelines, but she's obviously having to go with her income, and also the fact that she's like self-employed. So 
but not being employed long enough, sorry, self-employed and long enough to have books means that you don't get your income, which means you can't prove what you had, so you can't claim this 80% nonsense. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting too technical, but the point is, it's just, it's no way to treat anybody. And I, comedy, ironically, is what used to alleviate all this nonsense. I know. Folk used to get wound up at work, and this was it. Let's, let's go out and blow off some steam, have a few drinks, have a laugh. And now you can't even do that. Well, it's funny that before all this... notoriously kind of insular, overthinking people are trapped at home having to fucking deal with this. That's why Luckily, I think... not like that, though. Well, I'm. Mean, that's why I've taken to online so much. <laughs> but um, I, I a lot of people were saying to me um, it, before before lockdown, when the biggest fear was Brexit, um, yeah. that you know Brexit was going to cause a recession. And the good news about recession is, comedy industry always goes up. Yeah. And it's um, comedy industry doesn't exist now. You know, it's yeah. The other um, thing is uh, to to do with your question about where I think it's going. I, I honestly think, and it's it, maybe it's just me and the way I think, but when eventually, particularly in Scotland anyway, when the lockdown lifts and everybody is allowed to go back indoors and sit next to each other and hold hands and laugh and drink, I think it'll return to what it was. I don't see anybody hitting the reset button. I don't see any changes. I don't see, because of the, the structure of it. In England, maybe differently, because of they've got like bigger venues, chains and stuff. Uh, maybe the stand will will change the way Scottish kind of comedy in Edinburgh and Glasgow and Newcastle kind of go because they tend to be kind of yeah. uh, like leaders in the way that they roll out some sort of ideas and then people tend to follow them because they're successful. But I think for the vast majority of smaller gigs, I think it'll just be business as usual. It's just whether acts will actually be wanting to come gig again. I think audiences will be desperate to come out. I, I get messages all the time asking me to put gigs on, but where? And if you've See, got that, that's, like that, that's one thing I was thinking about. A lot of the smaller kind of open spot nights and stuff like that might actually be in a bit of trouble because a lot of time they, they, they operate at a loss for the, 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 the barn world. Whereas if, if people can just go in and drink, which they'll be yeah. fucking chosen to do, yeah. then, and, and not have to watch comedy, then they can sell more drink and people will have a yeah. good time kind of without comedy, without open spot nights anyway, you know? And yeah. so it's, I mean, I genuinely don't know how it's going to unfold. Yeah. Well, the, the I don't, I don't think, we were talking about this a bit before, but I don't think the industry was in that much of a healthy state before lockdown anyway, you know? Like no, with a lot of the closures and a lot of the <laughs> things that go on behind the scenes and stuff, it was just, um, it was just not a, a great creative, environment it was certainly wasn't a good economic environment for a lot of people so yeah hopefully i mean i would like to see what's happened in the past 11 months and however far far into the future be a kind of uniting force you know but you see see so much division over just opinion and stuff like that you kind of worry about are we all going to come out right with even more of a tribal mentality (laughs) it's a a very strange industry i think given that you don't it's like old-fashioned, the way you used to do like an apprenticeship, and you have to fund yeah. your own apprenticeship. And because of that, every single person is their own promoter, uh, product, and salesperson. So you have to go out, do your own thing as your own entity, and compete with everybody else. Even on an, like an open mic night, if you were to do it 
as as a learning curve. Um, I think it's just a it's an industry that needs more support from yeah. each other, and people need to instead of think right, okay, that guy's getting more laughs than me. I don't like that guy. I want that guy to fucking do worse because I want to get the laughs. Right. You need because the like I I can think of one clear gig that or actually two clear gigs, but it was one run. Uh, where a guy that I had, he was an Australian guy, came on the Friday night, I booked him for a bill, and he was on Friday, Saturday. Friday night, he absolutely struggled. People just had no gay sense of humour whatsoever, and he came off and he said, Rob, I didn't even know why I'm here. I don't, I, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> uh, Who am I? What year is this? Who's the president? <laughs> yeah. Going off like a time traveller, no brain left there. I've been there. Yeah. Well, I just hated it, because to me, like I like being supportive. I don't want yeah. somebody to feel like they've had a horrible time because, as far as I'm concerned, if I booked that gig, I'm responsible for that. So yeah. his name was Oliver, and I, I remember telling him, Oliver, it's just, it's just a night. Just take this night as being not your night. It's not your fault. You did your jokes the way that you do them. They're funny. I know they're funny. I've seen audiences laugh at them. I know audiences laughing at them. It's just that this one just didn't get it. And then the Saturday night, funny enough, I had a, two guys in the same bill Friday, Saturday. So Oliver did badly. The other guy did really well. And on the Saturday night, Oliver was the best act in the entire bill. And the other guy really struggled. And Oliver came off and went, thank Christ, he, he talked me into staying. Because yeah. that was like one of the best gigs I've ever done in my life. And it's just, it is the nature of the business where I think, because you never know if you're going to have a good or a bad gig, why would he undermine the other person? Because... Yeah. You might have the shite gig, uh, like they may be having a great gig tonight, and you might have a shite gig because of whatever reasons in your head, but flipped on the other side, they might need you to G them up tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, you should be supportive. I don't yeah. get the whole competitive nature. Surely if everybody, and I'm, I'm saying this from a promoter point of view, but if everybody supports everybody and everybody has a great night, that helps everybody. Yep. It's not about he was funnier than me and I don't want him to succeed because that's undermining the gig. And it's, if I know that you're there to undermine the gig, you're there for the wrong reason. So I'm yeah. not going to be encouraged to book you again, no matter how funny you are. And I think that um, that attitude as well, it bleeds into criticism of other acts as well. It's like people say, oh, he was yeah. funny, but he was, but his material was racist. And you're like, where's that coming from? Or misogynist? Yeah. Or, 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 and it's, it's, it's actually co-opting a valid valid point that needs to be made to to be used in a negative way and it's like you know it's um i don't i don't like that that's well lucky that uh, my audience are a core repeat audience and if somebody is racist the audience will address that yeah somebody sexist the audience will address that i don't even need to i don't even need to step in because Mm -hmm. if they do something or say something wrong it will be addressed by the audience. They will instantly dislike you, and that's it. See, I caught, a bit, of, I, I, I caught a bit of drama for that because I, I had a joke about they call Parkhead Paradise, but I've never seen any suicide bombers there. And, like, it was people deliberately misconstrued that as racist when it's, like, you know, there's, there's white suicide, suicide bombers too. It's not even anti-religious. It's just a, a play in the fact that Parkhead's called Paradise. And, yeah. You know, and suicide bombers claim that they're going to paradise, which they're patently fucking not. You know, but, but if somebody is, is fine picking your material yeah. instead of concentrating on their own, why are they doing that? 
Why yeah. did, why did somebody else care about your material? Like another comedian. Yeah. You wouldn't get another fucking wallpaper manufacturer caring that this one's got too many flowers and you've got no enough flowers. It's I think it's their own, you know. But I think I think that's 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 something for a lot of acts that come out of workshop environment. I think I think I, I definitely took other comedians' feedback on board too much because that's what I was used to doing from the from the word go. You know, oh, I, didn't, okay. I didn't I didn't realize after the workshop ended, it was time to you know just do it. Yeah. You know? In fact, to the yeah, extent that I, I, I ran a rehearsal space for a while to keep that workshop environment alive, and you know, yeah. it was like after after a while, it becomes um, becomes almost an impediment. You know, because you, you see that well, acts as well that can't see, seem to operate without other comedians to validate their material, and it's like, nah, if your material's not going to work for an audience, it's no use sitting doing it for comedians. Yeah, you know? well, com- comedians are the poorest judge of comedy going. Mm-hmm. You will see them quite often <laughs> deliver a joke to no laughter and be totally bewildered as to why. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. There only is one relationship, and it's the comedian and the audience. Yeah. Different audiences will give you different reactions, so there's no point in dwindling your fucking your morale just because you had a bad night. Mm-hmm. So tell the same joke to five different audiences, get a general vibe as to who laughed, where they laughed, like age demographic, geographical location, all these things are all contributors to whether somebody finds something funny. Like if you tell a, a farming joke in the middle of Glasgow, some people will get it. But if you tell them a, a farming joke in the middle of Lockerbie, everybody will get it. So it's whether you want to like look at it critically to help yourself or whether you yeah. want to look at it critically to, to undermine somebody else. I just yeah. didn't get that at all, and I don't, I don't come from a workshop thing. I've never done like a comedy course or nothing. So I mean, I, 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 I don't have I, that's that where I started out. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I just, I just, I just went and attended a course thinking it would be good to build my confidence and stuff, and then hey. it turned out it was actually fucking funny, which was a bit of a shock. No, I don't know how to say. I was going to say something that's completely escaped my mind. But no, no, um, that's that's one thing the online stuff's taught me though is. Um, Patience for your material, because yeah. I used to just I, I used to just like rattle through my set, you know, and not give the audience time to laugh. And because in a Zoom gig, you have to like tell your joke, give the audience time to appreciate it and laugh, and yeah. then the laughter comes back. It's, it's helped me a lot with my timing and my flow, but but I was yeah. but it wasn't before, you know. In fact, a couple of times in my first few Zoom gigs, man, I was so used to getting laughs that like the three or four times I didn't get a laugh, I was like, oh, did I freeze? And they're sitting there going, no. That's all I went, to be honest. Honestly, hi, no. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are the things that I'm inexperienced with. I think I should actually do some Zoom gigs just to get the experience, because I like the experience. Right. I like knowing. I don't like not knowing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's suit, millions of them out there. There's millions yeah. right there all sorts of different times of the day, so it's, it's I could probably recommend a few of you, man. It'd be good to see you do some yeah. stuff, you know? Always well, I've written some stuff, but I don't know if it's particularly suited to, like I say, to screens. Because yeah. yeah. I'm so used to interacting with an audience. Most of my yeah. stuff is, is based on interacting with an audience. It is weird, but like, like, you were, like we were saying before we started recording, it does, it does, it did for me start as an exercise in camera confidence. Yeah. And, um, and then it's, I started getting used to the Zoom audiences and things, you know. And um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm fucking loving doing it, man. I, I mean, I wish, I wish it was live, you know. But it's, yeah. it's given me, it's, it's energised me in a way um, that 
live gigs and stuff like that wasn't doing just before lockdown, even though I had, I had a lot booked. And at first it was postponed, and God knows what the status of half of those things are now, probably never going to happen now. But um, yeah. I'm, I've definitely got more belief in my ability and my and more confidence in my jokes and my material and things like that now than I did at the start of lockdown. I just wish there was actual audiences to, to try it on, you know? Yeah, right. Well, in 2029, you'll be all right. I think we'll be all old three yeah. folk in our shade. You're 30, 30, yeah. Fucking, yeah. Uh, I'll be dead by then, so. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you luck in advance. <laughs> there probably be ads for cryogenically freezing coming up on Facebook soon, man. Uh, there be ads for fucking... <laughs> Wake up, we want Disney. <laughs> you could be the first person on Musk's um, space station gig. There'll be any cruise ships. They'll just be like fucking rockets. Just go on to space station. Well, I, the man I think I think the odds of me going to the Mars with Elon Musk are about the same as being one of Bill Gates's fourteen million left. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you don't you don't want to be on Mars though. You just want to go somewhere nice, like fucking anywhere else. <laughs> out the house, anywhere out the front door. <laughs> Have you actually seen any um, online stuff that you've enjoyed watching? Uh, I've seen a few um, gigs that have got funny. Um, Green screen backdrops where they're in a comedy club. Yeah, yeah. They can yeah. convey the attitude of it being in a comedy club, but as a viewer, not hearing the laughter is really odd. It's like, it's like watching somebody rehearse rather than actually perform, and I think that itself is is what puts me on the back foot about trying it. Just because yeah. sometimes you know, see when you tell you see somebody tell a joke and. It's one of those jokes that you don't know whether he liked it or not. And the audience usually laugh and push you one way or the other. I've seen yeah. that. And it, it, instead of like pushing you one way or the other, you just feel incredibly awkward and think, oh, fuck, did I, did I find that funny or did I not? Or is it just totally mm. awkward? Was it supposed to be awkward? I don't know. Yeah, um, I've, I've, done a, I've done a few gigs um, where it's like about 20 or 30 acts on the bill and it, you, you've got to watch about 15 people do something like that before you go on. And that, uh, that can be that can be difficult. I mean, it can. Uh, you know, and then it's like you're noticing that half the acts are, you know, there, but they've got their camera turned off and their sound turned off. And uh, it's, it's I've, I've tried to, um, although I, I really appreciated any gig back in the summer, I've, I'm kind of sticking to just doing the gigs that I'm being offered now. You know, and uh, like, and, and it's, it's happening at a fairly reasonable time for me. I think that's a good thing, though. I think that's yeah. you finding out which ones benefit you. Because there's no, to me, there's no point doing things that don't benefit you. Yeah. And like performing to other acts doesn't really benefit you. I know from a work uh, workshop perspective, that's probably no true. But having no done that, for me, mm. from my experience, like doing a gig to six other acts in a basement in Edinburgh is, is no really much Aye. fun. Even if they laugh, it's it's still not the same as performing to an audience. An audience comedians will deconstruct your joke, even though they're laughing, they'll be deconstructing your material to find out how they would improve it all the way Aye. through. And it, I don't know, it doesn't really... Muff Meltdown was a, a good wee gig for that though. It was, was it? often mainly comedians. Did you ever do Muff Meltdown? Uh, Tuesday or so. I think it was a bell, but I don't think I did it. It was Angus Coots and um, or the guy Matt, um, the the Canadian guy Matt Watson. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, the wee tiki bar, fifty-two the canoes. Guy in the van. I'm not sure. He's, a, he's Canadian. Aye, aye, aye. Aye, he lives in a van. 
Doesn't have to, oh, that's right, so he does. He has his Facebook post. No, he doesn't. Um, yeah, I really like that because uh, there was usually an audience. Sometimes there wasn't an audience. Sometimes it was all comedians, but it was comedians from around the country. So uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't just about six local Glasgow comedians or whatever. It was just oh, see, that would be different if it's like different cultural experiences. That yeah. Again, you're getting feedback then, but if it's just like... The other thing that I kind of missed out was most of the time when it was like six people, six other acts in the audience, it was acts that he knew and he, he knew the material as well as they did and you performing to them is literally they could just fucking perform it back to you at the same time. <laughs> so in that instance, that's what I mean by doesn't really benefit you. Um, and I remember going to one and being told, okay, the audience isn't coming. And I'm like, how how did they fucking text in? You know, <laughs> or not coming. And I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to perform. And I did, I took the bullet even though they thought I was being snobby. I said, I'm not going to perform, I'll just be the audience. Because there was a couple of acts that I'd never heard and the, a couple of them that I had heard had new stuff because I was talking to them. So I just thought I'll give an honest sort of feed, no, not feedback as in constructive feedback, but feedback as in if it's funny, I'll laugh. Yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was the one member of the audience at a gig once for five other comedians. <laughs> uh, and all I'm going to say there was that was a fucking painful night and uh, I was happy to get the bus. There was a gig I'd done Bonfire Night 2019. <laughs> this is mental, man. Like, there was like six comedians, right? And it was only just comedians. And it, it, none of them were taped to bother with just doing acts in front, right in front of other comedians. So we decided that there was no audience. <laughs> we're, we're all going to go home, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I swear to God, we all kind of went out the door single file, right? And as, as soon as we all got out the door, fucking eight audience. <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I wish there'd been two doors. I, I wish there'd been two doors, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> out the door. And all the acts just went and followed the audience in. Like, are you here for the comedy? I oh, fuck, we're, we're the acts, we're coming back. Up, there was only eight audience, but it was a good night. <laughs> I remember driving to, up to Edinburgh once. Um, uh, I'll not name the venue, but it was during the, there was a really, really bad winter. It was in the middle of January and there was a snowfall that blocked all traffic in Scotland. And so we were told if if you need to travel, don't, unless it's absolutely necessary. But I just started in comedy. I think it was about my fourth gig. And I was like, oh, I've got to do this because you can't possibly pull it to a gig. That's unprofessional. <laughs> so I drove all the way up to Edinburgh in fucking blizzard conditions and performed <laughs> to like six people two of who were from holland and didn't speak english uh one was south african and three were just exceptionally quiet and yet i, I strictly remember it being one of my favorite gigs at the time because <laughs> they, they were just really nice the, the audience for all like even the dutch girls they were they, they sort of spoke to each other mm. and explained the jokes because some people couldn't get or Sorry, one of them couldn't get the accent at some jokes and one didn't get the references at the other. So they kind of explained to each other. So you did pause while they did it. And then you'd get this laughter like 10 seconds later. And it was the weirdest experience, but I enjoyed it all the same. That was, I was, that was a bit like Muff Meltdown, actually, because they had a, a youth hostel right across the road. So the, the, the flyer, just at the, the youth hostel, and you get you get usually a wee crowd from the youth hostel one. Nice. Not, not the youth hostel, but you know what I mean, a Euro hostel type yeah, place. Yeah. So it was a good international crowd in there. It was a good night. It was actually the last gig I'd done before lockdown. And I'd, I'd actually just died mass at um, a, a student night. I failed to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I put the video up on Facebook because it was that funny, man. It was like my whole set, It's there was bits where they were just coughing and all that. 
Like, <laughs> I was like, fucking hell. It was, it was honestly, I think it was the worst I've ever done. And it would have been my last gig if I hadn't went and signed up for Milk Meltdown just after it. You, you, you kind of give up that easy. Uh, That's the thing. Bad gigs will happen. They no, I mean, it would have been my last gig before lockdown. It would have been, been my last uh, memory. I smashed uh, it at Muff Meltdown, man. Like, smashed it? <laughs> well, like it smashed the last minute and a half. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I smashed my punchline. Unfortunately, it took me four and a half minutes to get there. Right. I, I, I hate that when you've got a joke, man, that you've, you've, you've got a killer punchline, but the setup's just too, too much to, to get to the punchline. Too extravagant. I don't know. I've done. Yeah. I've done stuff like that. I've got. I've I got a joke. I'm trying to. All the time. I've got. I've joke. I'm trying to write. It's about like reading uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, which kind of implies that we're you know essentially visiting each other, making first contact on a date. But nobody wants to hear I come in peace. Aye. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Well, like you know what I mean. But I'm, that. that, that and the right, and the, if, I, if I set it up the right way, that'd be a good punchline. I've, I've just not figured out how to make any current laugh with it. <laughs> Give me a minute and I'll see what I can come up with. And by yeah, a minute, I'm into a workshop. A day and a half. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's, it's, it's that too much. It's, it's weird. It's, there's, a, there's an act in Glasgow who's a tabloid journalist, and I spoke to him about comedy, and I realised that his training in tabloid journalism yeah. It's perfect for comedy because it helps you write, can be a message with as few words as possible, you know? Yeah. 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 And write headlines, yeah. which essentially are punchlines, particularly yeah, yeah. if it's the daily sport. Yeah. Well, it's just on this guy, right? For, but, um, but it's just, it's just, I've always interested in that, the fact that he's tabloid training helped him become a joke writer, you know? Yeah. I've come across all sorts. Uh, guys that worked in theatre as, as, um, playwrights, mm. guys who worked in lighting, guys who were in the police, guys who are lawyers, and it's really fascinating hearing the way that they deliver the material. And it mm. is, once you find out what their profession is, it's like a pin drops and you go, ah, oh, fuck aye, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I say, I don't know what mine delivery comes from at all. Mine's is just <laughs> random. Honestly, I make words up and everything. <laughs> comes from comes from pills, I think. And I, I started comedy because I knackered my back. Right. And the very first gig I ever did, I was almost entirely stoned with my face on painkillers. Although I sobered up rapid the minute he handed me the microphone and said, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it was like somebody wiped the fog from me. I think the adrenaline just flooded my system. I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm actually in pain now. <laughs> it's kind of weird that the difference between just standing talking and then getting handed the mic and going up, but it's, it's a whole new world of communication. There's so, so many different things. Time moves differently as well. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the way your mind works as well, like remembering your material yeah. and things like that. And and also ad-libbing just sometimes just comes right out of the blue. And yeah. other times, even though you, you think of something as an ad-lib, you, you don't use it or just, just communication, just your, your basic path of communication is so different from normal everyday conversation. Aye. And I, I completely it's understand. Your comedy brain is not your brain, your yeah. normal brain. I was, ta- I was talking about this in a, a podcast with a techno promoter. She, she promotes acid techno. Um, and to me, like I used to DJ fucking out my face and acid and eckies and fucking ketamine and all sorts. <laughs> and it, it was, I, I didn't like DJing straight. It, it, it bored me, you know? And like I was saying to her that um, 
comedy is like my straight, my, my clean DJing. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's essentially using the same muscles. I just don't feel the need to get out my face first. Have you ever thought about incorporating music into your set? I've spoken about that a few times. Like I've thought about maybe doing that, but I, I don't know. I, I like stuff like Blue Jam, Chris Morris, and stuff like. But um, yeah. I don't mean like as a as a, a smashy nicey character, but no, like I know what you mean. Actually, using because your knowledge of music is quite extensive, yeah. using it because yeah. it, what I found amazing about comedy since I started, and particularly with my audience, is that you kind of prejudge what somebody will like, and then find out you're completely wrong to prejudge it. And back yeah. in the early days, I would think like somebody bringing up references from the 70s or 60s or, or um, music from the charts or TV shows. And you look at the audience and think they're never going to fucking know who that is. And then that goes through the window because you're proven wrong. Well, that's, I'm that's terrible for out-of-date about. references. I'm, 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 I tried to reference fucking Annie Ross from Superman 3 in a workshop the other day. Like, <laughs> and then you're always, always millennials going, Who's Superman? Who's Annie Ross? You know, like, <laughs> I love an educated audience. Like, I love yeah, them but... when they, they you throw a joke, like, you get an act that you think, Ah, oh, this is niche as fuck, and, yeah. and they go down a storm because actually people are far more intelligent than you give them credit for. I know, but I mean, you know, forcing a, a bunch of millennials to watch Superman 3 is uh, pushing the definition really of education. <laughs> Uh, I've not really forced a bunch of millennials to do anything, to be fair. But, although, I mean, there were comedians, so I, should, I said you should watch it, it's got Richard Pryor in it, like. Right. <laughs> uh, is that why you, is that your reference to the film? Is that why it's your favourite? <laughs> yeah, everything <laughs> revolves around Superman 3 for me, man. It's all the drugs I took when I was DJing. I'm going to own that film, and I don't think I've ever watched it off the disc that I own. Yeah? It's bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a big film fan, so, Yeah. yeah. I watched that's, Superman that's 4 again recently, man. You've been watching Superman Mud? Eh? You were watching Mud? Superman 4. Quest for oh, Peace. Okay. What a nice. fucking dreadful film, man. Yeah. That's lockdown for you, watching rubbish movies. But, um, well, it's been great to have you on, Rob. Um, well, hopefully you'll come back on and tell us how things are um, in a few months, or 2029, if you're still alive. 2029, uh, that's my prediction at the moment. Mm. I mean, I'm being optimistic, because surely, you know, Mm. If we all if we're all optimistic, it'll happen. But <laughs> realistically, I don't want to give a figures just in case. <laughs> all right. Well, cheers. Thanks for coming on, mate. Speak to you soon, man. Hey, cheers, man. Mana mana, do 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 do. Mana mana, do 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 do. Mana mana, do 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 do